Well, good morning, gang. I hope you're doing well this Tuesday morning. It is just about 8 a.m. on uh, Tuesday, August 4th. Uh, what I guess could be titled for me the week of reopening, no matter where I am. This last Sunday, I uh, reopened live services at Epiphany in Manhattan, and this Sunday, we are reopening live in-person services at the church. I serve in Roxbury, New Jersey, Hillside Church, so there is uh, lots going on in the world uh, right now for us. Um, all good things, but nevertheless, just um, very different in the way things have been, obviously, the last five months. Um, and so there's, um, there's lots of good, lots of anticipation and lots of hope about what is to come, but it's still, I think, in this time, like everything, uh, with, with any moment that you get optimistic, it's always, well, it's always a little cautious, right? I mean, there's just this reality that we've lived in for the last number of months that makes us, well, I guess, sometimes weary of, of going there. Um, and so it's appropriate that today, as we look at the Old Testament lectionary text for uh, this more or for this upcoming Sunday's worship service, that that lectionary text comes from Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 18. Uh, if you remember in the sort of structure of Job, for basically the first, well, the first few chapters, Job has everything go wrong with him. Um, the devil is permitted to go on the attack to some extent, and Job gets the full force of all of that, or at least close to the full force of all that attack. And basically what happens is uh, Job has some friends come and visit him and, who initially uh, mourn well with him. They sit silently with him for a number of days and they just, um, you know, they're just present. But then, of course, as you know, if you've read the book, it doesn't take long before they start dialoguing with him about the reasons for why this could have happened. And this results in uh, a back and forth in which basically they come at him accusing him of having some hidden sin that must have resulted in this or having some lack of faith, something like that. Job, not believing, I think, that he's perfect, nevertheless defends himself and says, I'm not hiding anything. I don't know why this has come upon me. It's not as linear as you guys want to make it, okay? That's, it's just not. I, there, there seems to be a randomness to this. There seems to be a complete chaos in all of this that makes no sense to me. And so this causes Job to really struggle throughout the book. He never denies God, as is noted at the very end, but he does struggle with you know, sort of reconciling what he believes to be true about God and the experience that he's having in real life. That is not an uncommon experience for us as well. When we go through real hard times, when we go through real challenge and difficulty, um, that seems to be chaotic and unpredictable. It is also natural for us to wonder, is this really in line with God's plan? And even if it's even if it's kind of you know like god doesn't doesn't do evil so we can't blame god for evil things but even so we still do confess that god is ruler over this world so how do we reconcile that well well instead of try, trying to speculate and philosophize about how to reconcile that god shows up in chapter 38 to job and his friends and decides to speak for himself and what you'll find is he does not give 
a, you know, an answer to Job's why question. He never does in the book. Uh, but what he does do is present who he is, in fact, to Job, reminding him of just how big God is in comparison to him. And so we'll pick up the text of what God says in chapter 38, verse 4. Actually, we'll start at verse 2. The Lord shows up and he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, right off the bat here, God, you know, the, the whole idea that was being proposed throughout this is they were questioning God. They were questioning whether God was in charge at all. God is always the one that's questioned, whether it be in theodicy schemes or whether it be uh, there's a there's a this desire for God to justify himself and to justify what he does to the human being, which is precisely the opposite of what reality is. God has no need to justify himself to flawed, imperfect people. In fact, God has every right to ask us questions and to help to get us thinking in a newer and grander way. So God says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, right up at the beginning, God goes back to the original act of creation itself. And he does so using or asking questions that were indeed being asked by people all the way back in Job's time and have continued to be asked. And that is, um, what is this, where, what is this world built on? Is it a flat earth, which was, you know, the assumption of many for a long time? Uh, what does it rest upon? They couldn't go out into space. They couldn't see what we see now. There was a lot of question about this. There was, you know, even an old system that said that the world was built on a turtle and then it was built on another turtle and another turtle. And another, I'm not kidding. That's true. It really was a, uh, an idea that was floated about that the whole earth rested on top of just kind of infinite turtles. You know, I, I'm not quite sure how that all worked, but, but no one really knew. No one really knew and even as much as we know today, we are still sending out SpaceX and various other new space programs because we realize that we don't know a whole lot. Right off the get-go, God shows up to Job to remind him, Job, if you can't even describe for me what it was like at the beginning... Do you think maybe you don't have all the information? Do you think maybe some humility is in order to recognize what I am and who I am in contrast to who you are? He'll continue. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. 
and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. In the second part here, God takes up, of course, the sea. Now, it's important to recognize, especially in the book of Job, but really all throughout the scriptures, when the sea is mentioned, especially in a symbolic sense, the sea is always, um, uh, it's always sort of coalesced with chaos and instability. The sea is a place of great fear. If the space the, around us is vastly unknown, well, the sea is a close second, even still today. We just simply don't know and don't have the ability to find out yet what all exists in the sea, especially back then. I mean, you, you go through uh, Job's book and it talks about the Leviathan, the great sea creatures that uh, inhabit this uh, body of water. And, and whenever you look at the sea, in scripture, you see it's described by places, that, by this, these proud waves everywhere that can toss you to and fro and cause great chaos and destruction. The sea is also correlated with the world, with evil in scripture often. And yet, what does God say about the sea? I, sh I said it's bars and doors. I told the proud waves, thus far you shall come, and no farther. God is saying, yes, even over that place of seeming chaos, I'm in control. I am sovereign over those things. Yes, it may look like absolute craziness. It may look like total unpredictability. But yes, I'm God over that too. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Here God takes up the, the issue of time and even the issue of beauty that comes in the cycle of time as he talks about the dawn. The structure of our days, God is in control of that as well. God is in control of what is going on throughout all of the universe. Have you entered the spring into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. Now that is the Old Testament reading for this Sunday. And the rest of the chapter, and indeed God's continued uh, declarations, will go on into the next chapter in Job, until eventually Job, while well, Job is caused to repent. And the reason he repents is because as he's faced with this God who is far grander than anything he had imagined before this event, he recognizes that he has very little position to call into question God's rule and God's authority. He recognizes that he is creature and God is creator. A distinction that we might say out loud, but oftentimes we 
we live as though not true. It's the natural tendency for people that are naturally idolaters. We forget that distinction. Job is brought back to that reality by what God says here. I'm a creature. I'm utterly dependent on this creator. And yet, as, as powerful are, as the words are in God's response to Job, I want to um, wrap up this devotion by noting something that's very significant. As, as much as these words can be comforting to us, in the same way that maybe hearing in a time of need from somebody, don't worry, God is in control, maybe that can be... Um, slightly comforting to us in a moment, or sometimes it's good to be reminded of that. I have to say, uh, I believe throughout the rest of Scripture, we learn that God realizes or God knows that that's not enough. I'm just going to say it very plainly. It's not enough to have a sovereign God that rules over the affairs of man. It's not enough. If your God is so sovereign that he is only ruling over the affairs of life, distant from it all, then you will have a God that is soon to be seen as cold and stoic and unfeeling, unapproachable, and frankly, not much comfort at all. But... If you have a God that makes himself known in a person and through the work of Jesus Christ, well, then you have, you have everything you need. Because on the one hand, what God is saying in this passage is true and will remain true forever. He rules over all things. Yes, true. But he doesn't rule in such a way that makes him distant. No, as a matter of fact, he rules in such a way that he is even able to make himself vulnerable to the threats of humanity. He rules in such a way that he incarnates in the midst of us, in the person of Jesus Christ, and walks among us and brings healing in that way. I love the fact that throughout Jesus' life, so often, even though he can just say a word or snap his fingers and heal somebody, he chooses to touch them. All the time. Touch. He'll use things like mud from his own spit and wipe it on people's eyes. And I'm convinced the reason that you see so much touch from Jesus is because Jesus knows as God that human beings need that kind of closeness and intimacy with the sovereign God. And so we have the best of all things, Christians, because we can at once confess what God says here in Job 38. You rule over everything, God. That is true. And even if I don't understand how you rule and why you allow the waves of my life to do what they do, I have good reason to trust you. Is it because you simply say you're bigger than all these things? Yeah, that can be. But ultimately, you know why you have reason to trust him. It's because you have seen in the life and work of Jesus Christ that he's willing to do everything necessary to have you as his own. So, you need both. You need both perspectives. 
Yes, you need a God who does rule mysteriously over the affairs of the world and of the universe. But that God needs to be incarnate. He needs to be Jesus Christ for you, given for you, ultimately at the cross and in his resurrection for your justification and salvation forever. All right, that is Job 38. I hope you're encouraged by that, and I hope you have a, a good Tuesday, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next Tuesday as we look at Old Testament texts from the lectionary. God bless.